For me to say that my proposal to Darian was dramatic is a dramatic understatement. So the story, it actually begins in a church. We just finished the Lord's Supper. This is back in Oklahoma. And um, I told Darian I had some chicken wings the night before, and I was like, my stomach's upset. I got to go to the bathroom, which is a super romantic way to start a proposal story, I know. So I go and get in my spot, and a couple moments later, I say, listen, chicken wings really destroying me. Uh, I have some medicine in my jacket pocket. Can you get it and bring it to me? Again, so romantic. So she digs into my pocket. She doesn't find medicine, though. She finds a handwritten note that she begins to read it. It tells how much I love her, how much I can't wait to start my life with her, and gives her some instructions that tells her going out into the hallway. So she, she does, and she moves out to the hallway where she is. She comes and meets her parents who are waiting for her. Now, her parents didn't live in town, so she knows already something's up here. Um, so they hug her, say hello, and then they hand her an iPad <laughs> that I had pre-recorded a video on. And in the video, I tell her how much I love her, how much I can't wait to begin my life with her. And she watches the video all the way to a secluded room, a private room that I had reserved for this event. She gets into the room. It's completely dark except for candles that I had lit all over the room. In fact, I'd gone so far to create a makeshift aisle of candles going down that lead to her knight in shining armor, me, at the very end of the room. Now, stopped right there would have been enough, but you know what love does. It makes us do crazy things. So whenever she walked into the room, she would look up and she saw pictures hanging. On the left side were pictures of her, on the right side were pictures of me, starting from whenever we were children and moving linear style, growing up until finally the pictures collide at the end because they're pictures of both of us and they are hanging over where I'm standing. Super cheesy, I know, but it doesn't end there. She makes her way down the aisle and I get down on my knee, I tell her how much I love her, how much I can't wait to begin my life with her, I propose and Still to this day, I don't know if she was allowed to say no. Like, I don't know. I, I think I kind of framed her just right. So she had to tell me yes. And then maybe I convinced her later on that, okay, I do actually want to go through with this thing. So she says yes, the only answer she could. Oh, did I mention that all of our family and friends I had called from all over the place had come and were waiting in that room to surprise her afterwards. And then, because it's not done quite yet, we do what any Southern family should do. We transform the room, put out the tables, and for lunch we had spaghetti. There it is. <laughs> and I hope, I am hoping so bad that somebody in here has a similar story. Maybe not to that extent, but you have stories of pursuit. Stories where you chased after the one that you love. Stories of winning them back because you said something or did something that you weren't supposed to do. Maybe you have wild stories of a date that you went on, a wild story of a proposal like mine, or a wild story of a wedding that met all your expectations. Maybe for some of you, your story is spinning and driving all night just so you can sleep in the same bed as your spouse. Maybe your story is um, saving up your, or taking your savings account and putting it all down on the ring because that's the one that she wants. Maybe your story is whenever you first started dating, you just remember sitting on the phone and listening to each other breathe. 
which sounds creepy, but it's not as creepy as the whole, no, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, you hang up first, only to eventually hang up and start texting each other immediately after. You have your own stories, but then years later, maybe some of you woke up and you realize that the love that you used to feel isn't there anymore. And you're asking the same question, what happened? Where did the adventure go? Where did the intimacy go? Where did the romance go? And very simply put, right here at the beginning, if we just trace it down to the roots of what we've talked about so far in this series, is I would say that somewhere along the road, priorities got mixed up where God was no longer your one and your spouse was no longer your two. And somewhere along the way, you stopped pursuing one another. You stopped putting in the work of loving and pursuing your two. Because think about it, and I tried to really think, is there any other place in life that we can be lazy and yet still see improvement? And this is hearkening back to our whole disciple series where we concluded talking about spiritual disciplines, about doing difficult things even though they're difficult because they're necessary. And love's the same way, but so is like going to the gym, right? Right now, I don't have the expectation that a month from now, I'm going to get any stronger or any skinnier because here's what I'm doing. And I do this often. I'll get a really good audio book and I, I start playing it when I'm headed to the gym, and then my, my mind is turning, and I'm loving the book, and I'm just hopping from machine to machine. I'm not really doing any workouts. I'm just kind of going through the routine. I'm not pushing myself. I'm just there. And I don't have an expectation that I'm going to be skinnier in a month, at least not until my audiobook is done, and then maybe I'll get back into it. The same is true at your office. The person, if your boss or your coworkers thinks you're lazy, you are not going to get a promotion. I can almost guarantee it. You're not going to get a pay raise. I can almost guarantee it. And let's just take this to a very practical level. If you don't mow, if you don't put down fertilizer, if you don't weed eat, if you don't maintain your yard, it's not going to look as good as your neighbor's. It's a very, very practical idea of life. And speaking of yards, in your marriage, if the grass looks greener somewhere else, it's time to water your own yard. And that's what I want to talk about today. We are in a message series titled Marriage Matters, because as a church, we do believe that. We believe marriage matters. But maybe you've noticed that marriages are struggling more than they ever have before. We looked at a, a horrifying statistic last week, that a ballpark average is 50% of marriages do not make it. 50% of marriages will not last. That is horrifying and it's unacceptable to God. It is not how God designed it to be. So our goal in this series is to equip your marriage to become everything that God intended it to be. We want you to have a marriage that matters, because in this world, it matters. It matters. So the three things we're talking about in this series, if marriage matters to you, then these three things must also matter. We talked about last week, if marriage matters to you, then priority must matter. God must always be your one. Before you even start dating somebody, God should be your one. After you've been married for 50 years, God should be your one. God is always your number one, and your spouse is always your number two. You don't raise your spouse in priority over God, and you don't lower your spouse under other good things like children or careers. God's at your one, your spouse is at your two. 
This week, if marriage matters, we're going to be talking today about pursuit must matter. And I want you all walking away with this phrase on repeat this week. I will always pursue my two. Say it with me. I will always pursue my two. That's what I want you thinking. I will always pursue my two. And then I guess you saw Tracy's back. He made it back. Welcome. And you're going to close out this series talking about purity. If marriage matters, then purity must also matter. Because here's the truth. Wherever, wherever secrecy lives in a marriage, intimacy dies. Wherever secrecy lives, intimacy dies. We read this verse last week. I want to focus on a different part of it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 says, Therefore, a man leaves, remember we broke that word down a little bit, a man leaves his father and mother and he cleaves to his wife. I want to focus on that word. They become one flesh. So that word cleaves there, um, it, some of your translations may have united. They are united. He's united to his wife. That is simply the word in Hebrew, debak, debak. What it means is to cling to or to appear, which is the typical idea. That's what it has here. You join together with something. But that word has a variety of meanings as well. It also means to pursue something, to catch up with something. Think of like a cheetah going after a gazelle, and it catches up with it. Right? That's the same word, debak. It also means to pursue hard with affection or devotion or passion. Some other places in the Bible where this word debak is used, uh, Psalm 63, 8, I follow close behind you. It's a proximity word. Job 41, 17 says it this way, they are joined fast to one another. They cling together and cannot be parted. It's like glue that sticks a husband and wife together. Or Judges chapter 20, verse 45, they, this is militaristic language, they pursued hard after them. So this is a full picture of what this idea, being united to your wife, being debacked to your wife. One of my favorite passages and stories in the Bible regarding relationships is a story of pursuit. You go back to the Old Testament, you'll find a story in Genesis of a guy named Jacob, and a woman named Rachel, Jacob and Rachel. And the Bible is actually really funny if you dig in and look at all of its nuances every once in a while. Because if you read this story, it's actually a story of two sisters. You have Leah, the oldest sister, and you have Rachel, the youngest sister. And the Bible says, well, Rachel was lovely in figure. She was beautiful, and Leah had weak eyes. I'm not kidding. That's what it says. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance, which I'm sure is Hebrew for Leah had a great personality. I'm sure that's what is meant there. But I mean, how cruel, right? Rachel, beautiful in form and appearance. Leah, need glasses. That's what we have. And Jacob is in love with Rachel. He wants to marry Rachel. So the father of the two sisters says, okay, I'll make you a deal. You work for me for seven years and you can have my daughter. Okay, so the text, I love the imagery says that Jacob worked for seven years. Scripture says time passed by quickly because he was so in love with her. Time just flew by because I loved Rachel so much. But then the father of the sisters, Laban, pulls a little switcheroo. Instead of giving the youngest sister to Jacob, he gives the older one who needed glasses. And Jacob naturally responds with, wait, 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 wait. I wanted Rachel. I want to marry Rachel. And Laban responds, well, in our culture, it's actually proper to give the oldest daughter first. 
But Jacob was persistent. He wanted Rachel. He wanted Rachel. He loved Rachel. He wanted to marry Rachel. And I love it. I love the imagery. See, a lot of people think that Jacob then worked seven more years, and then he was gifted Rachel, but that's not what happens. Laban actually gives Rachel to Jacob, and yet he still works for those seven years that he promised, even after he already received the gift. Even after he'd already received Rachel, he worked. He put in the work. And I love it. For seven more years, he happily worked for what was already his. And in so many ways, I think that's the heart that God wants us to have in our marriages. God wants us to continue to work for our number two, even after we already have them. Even after they're already ours, we work for them. I will pursue my number two. I will pursue my number two. Husband and wife, they are united together. They become one flesh. And this pursuit, you know, it, becomes, it comes naturally whenever we first start dating somebody, doesn't it? Like we buy them stuffed bears, we get dressed up for fancy dinners, we do things we hate just so we can be with them, we do wild crazy things we wouldn't normally do so we can impress them, but then what happens as you get into a marriage and you stop pursuing each other? Well, if the statistic tells us anything, there might be some of you in here this morning who know that it goes down very quickly. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk about how we can live this out. And I want to get super practical with everybody this morning because I get it. Almost nobody gets married and says, you know what? I want to have a bad marriage. That's what I want. Like, I want to lose intimacy eventually. I'll give this thing a good seven-year run and then I'll, you know, we'll split assets 50-50. I'll take the kids on the weekend. Nobody goes into a marriage thinking that. So somewhere along the road, something happens. We all have good intentions We love each other in the beginning, but life wears us down. We get tired, we get worn down, we get overwhelmed, and maybe we even have love in our hearts still, but we just don't know how to show it. We don't know how to get it out there. We don't know how to translate it to our actions. So here's what I want to talk about. I want to give you three simple practices that are going to help us close the gap between our intentions and our actions. Because at the beginning, we all have good intentions, right? We love each other. We pursue each other. We want to have a great, successful marriage. We have good intentions. Maybe even in the hardest moments of our marriage, we have good intentions. But there seems to be a chasm that exists between our intentions and what actually happens, between our actions. So what I want to do is give you scripturally-based rules that are going to help close that chasm, that are going to help you pursue your two. Let's get kicked off right here at the beginning. Now, principle number one, when you think something good, say it. Just say it. And if we're going to look at scripture and just take what scripture says and apply it to our marriages, we might look at Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. If you want to keep the deceitfulness of sin out of your marriage, then you need to be using your words to encourage each other every single day. Every time that you think something good about your spouse, just say it. Why would I deprive my wife, my wife of, of words of affirmation, of positive things? It doesn't cost me anything, and it could be priceless to her. We should be showering each other. And listen, I'm not perfect at this, but I try every single day 
to tell Darian something that is both true and lifts her up. True and lifts her up. I'll tell her things like how much I love her. I'll tell her how great of a mother I think she is. I'll tell her how beautiful I think she looks in a moment. Every time I think something good, I don't want to starve her of verbal affection. I want to pursue her with words of affection. Man, that one's for you. Pursue your wife with words of affection, with words of affection. Now, I want to give a couple pieces of advice, advice that I've learned in the few years that I've been married. As you pursue her with words of affection, make it non-sexual affection. I'll say that again slowly. As you pursue your wife with words of affection, make it non-sexual affection. Guys are like, well, what, what is that? Well, it's affection that's non-sexual. That's about as baseline as I can get that one, right? Because guys, we do this all the time. We can make anything sexual. It's like, hey, honey, can you put the dishes up? <laughs> I'll put your dishes up. That doesn't mean anything. Like, you got to stop that, right? You got to pursue her with words of affection that have no sexual strings attached to it. And here's a simple tool that you can add to your belt. I love you. That's an easy one, right? I hope you're telling your wife you love her. It reminds both her, but it also reminds yourself that I love you. But simple, one word that you can add to the end of that sentence. I love you because. I love you because. I love you because you honor God. I love you because you are so much fun to be around. I love you because you are self-sacrificing to our kids, that you're self-sacrificing to me. I love you because you are my best friend. And I don't know what I would do in this world without you. I love you because. One of my favorite messages that I got from Darian happened while I was writing this sermon. I just copied and pasted it in. It was a random time. I'm sitting at my desk, and she texts me, all that you do for me is the definition of love, partnership, and sacrifice. Pursue her with words of affection. Ladies, this one's for you. Pursue him with words of affirmation. Pursue him with words of affirmation because he is becoming who you see in him. That's who he's becoming. You want to know what's the first thing I do after I preach or teach or have any kind of public event? I can guarantee it's going to happen today. I get into the car, I look to Darian, and I say, what'd you think? What'd you think? And it's not because I need an ego boost in that moment. It's because I need her affirmation. I need her to say that I did well. I need her to think that I'm valuable because if she does, if she thinks that I'm valuable, it doesn't matter to me what anybody else thinks. You could think I destroyed it. If she thinks I hit it out of the park, I did. Ladies, pursue your words. They matter. Your words, they matter to your husband. Don't tell him what he's not. Even if he's not there yet, build him up and he will become the man that you want him to become. So instead of saying, man, honey, I wish you were a stronger spiritual leader, say something like, hey, honey, I know that that prayer was out of your comfort zone, but I just want to say I am so grateful for the man that you are becoming. What God, what I see God doing in your life, tell him who you see him becoming. Men, she wants to know, do you love me today? And ladies, he wants to know, do you believe in me today? When you think something good, just say it. Just say it. And when you think something special, second principle, just do it. Again, gleaning from scripture, James chapter 4, verse 17. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do 
and doesn't do that thing, it is sin for them. Why would you not do the goodness that you see that's available to do? And this is where we can really learn to have fun with our spouse again. Now, don't tuck away special moments. Get away to Friday night at the same restaurant where you order the same thing. That's not what love looks like. That's routine. And I'm not saying that routine is a bad thing. What I am saying is that love is spontaneous. Love is sacrificial. Love looks towards the other person what they want and what they need. Love looks like putting that project at work away so that you can come home early and spend a couple of extra hours with your spouse. Love might look like getting takeout and going to the park and changing up your atmosphere because if you can change what you see around you, you begin to change, it begins to change what you see inside of each other. Love looks like getting, a, getting tickets to a ball game and cheering on the same thing together. That's what love looks like lost my notes. Oh, here it is. For, for guys out there, if you have kids at home, get the kids ready for bed. Do the dishes. Tuck them in. Give them food. If you don't have kids in the house anymore, help around the house. Vacuum. Fold the laundry. Make the bed. One of the most romantic things that you can do for your wife is reminding her that she is not alone. She's not alone. You're not parenting these kids by yourself maintaining the house isn't solely on your shoulders. We're in this together. One of, the, one of the biggest examples I have of Darian showing that she loved me was uh, we, while we were engaged, we went on the mission field for three months. We went to Austria, spent some time there, worked with the church, and then years after that, we had gotten married. We were newlyweds. We didn't have any money, but we really wanted to go back and rekindle some of those relationships to see where we left, but we just couldn't afford it. Well, I thought we couldn't, but Darian can find a ticket to anywhere, anytime, to any place, at any price. I, she just has a gift. And she did her research. She found tickets. She held them close. It was like my birthday. She took me out to a nice restaurant, and she surprised me with the tickets. And here's the thing. The tickets themselves were not the greatest part of that gift. It was that Darian thought about me. She pursued me she went after something that she knew mattered to me. And it doesn't take international tickets to do this with your spouse. This could look like filling up their tank with gas when you see that's empty, going out of your way to do it. This could look like writing a thoughtful note, sliding it under the bathroom door, under their pillow. This could look like watching, watching Hallmark movies with her or him. I don't know who's into them, but sit down and watch them. If, if she's excited about Hallmark, Watch him with it. All the guys are like, why did you have to say it? <laughs> I got you. I got you. What it looks like, if, if a ball game is on, that means sitting down and cheering on his team with him. There you go, guys. You're welcome. Right? Pursuing your spouse means doing things that they love. If he loves fishing, go fishing with him. If she loves writing notes to the family, sit down and write notes with her. Whenever you think something good, just say it. And whenever you think something special, just do it. And then the last principle I want to leave you with today, when you want something different, be it. If you want something different, then be it. I want to meddle here for a second because there are many, or there's some of you here that might be thinking about this lesson later today, because I know that's what you do on Sundays. You take this, you go meditate for about two hours, really absorb it, and then you're ready for the week. So whenever you're in those two hours of meditation, thinking about this lesson, 
you're going to be saying, you might be tempted to say things like, man, I loved what Peyton had to say. That sounds awesome. I want a marriage that looks like that. I really want to pursue it. Man, if she was just, if she was just like this, it'd be so much easier. Yeah, that sounds great. Or if only he would act like this. Yeah, that, that would be pretty great. Like if only she would be a little more encouraging. Yeah, a little more encouraging towards me. It'd be so easy to shower her with love. Or if only he would be a stronger spiritual leader. Yeah, then it'd be easy to trust him and to encourage him and push him forward. We so often point the finger at the other person, but if I learned anything from grade school is when you point a finger at somebody, you usually have three more pointing right back at you. Don't gripe about what your spouse is not. You become who God wants you to become. If you want something different, then go be it. If you want something different in your marriage, then go do it. If you want something different in your relationship, then go do it. Continue to grow into who God wants you to be. If you want something different, then be it. And if you don't like what you're getting, look at what you're giving. Instead of complaining about what you're not getting or what you are getting, ask yourself the question, what can I give to this marriage so that I will always be pursuing my two? What can I give to this marriage? Because here's the thing, there was a time when you did. There's a time whenever you pursued, when you were in love, when you did stupid things for each other. Why? Because you were crazy about your two. I want everybody just to look at your two. I'm not going to make you say anything. You can just kind of squeeze their arm if you want, nudge them. I want you to think or look at your two. You were crazy about that person. And I hope many of you still are, but if statistics are right, there are some of you in here, in here this morning who are wondering why you're not. Why you're not crazy about them, at least not as you used to be. And it's because somewhere along the way, you stopped pursuing. You stopped pursuing. So for all my single people out there, all my dating people, all my engaged people, all my people who may have never had a date, you're hoping one day it will happen, here's my one sentence for you. My one sentence for you, to get what you never had, you're going to have to do things you've never done. To get what you never had, you are going to have to start doing things you've never done. If you want a relationship like you've never had, you're going to have to start loving and sacrificing like you never have before. If you want something like you've never had, you're going to have to start doing things like you've never done. And then for all my married people, People who've been married for a couple years, people who've been married for many years and have a few kids, people who've been married more than me times two, this was your sentence. To get what you once had, you must do what you once did. To get what you once had back to that place, you're going to have to start doing things that you once did, the things you've already done before. Show tenderness reach out with some romance, be spontaneous, pursue your two for who they are today, not who you want them to be tomorrow. And over time, maybe just maybe a heart will soften. Maybe just maybe you will once again have a marriage that matters. When Jesus was talking to the church in Ephesus, my last thought, the church in Ephesus in Revelation, it's a church that fell away. He said it simply, it's a different context, but if we just loosely apply it to our marriage, we'll gain so much from it. This is what he said to the fallen church. Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. You know how to pursue. 
You've done it before. You know how to do it. And if the grass looks greener somewhere else, it's time to put down some fertilizer. It's time to mow and water what is yours so that you can once again have a marriage that matters, a marriage that honors God. Let's pray. God, thank you that we have this space of all these faces and couples and relationship, these years of wonderful marriages in here. God, I recognize I am not the most qualified person to be talking about what a successful marriage looks like. That there are so many people in here who've had years and years of successful marriages, of pursuing each other, of establishing healthy priorities. And so God, I ask that I will humbly learn from those around me. But God, I also ask that those listening to me now, that they will also learn from those around them. That as we suit, as we seek to have marriages that matter, God, that we will rely on each other, but we will primarily rely on you. God, we are so thankful that we have this space where we can glorify you, lift each other up, and continue to grow in what it means and learn what it means to follow after you. God, I pray for our marriages in here, our marriages that are soon to be, our marriages that are right around the corner or just started in our marriages who have long been around and are still thriving. God, I pray for the broken hearts in here, those who have, haven't seen, uh, have, have seen those marriages break, who have lost their significant one through death. God, I pray for those who are single in here, the ones who are wondering if they'll ever or when is their moment. God, I pray for all of these stages of marriage and that wherever we are, we'll set you as our priority and we'll give you all the honor and glory. We say this prayer in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.